This is a Triple J podcast. Hack. Hey, it's Dave Marchese. Welcome to the Hack Podcast. How do you think you'd get by in life without knowing how to read and write? Because for a huge section of Australian society, that's every day. Maybe you've grown up in another country, you haven't had access to school, you just haven't been able to learn. What's it like learning to read and write as an adult and how much difference can it make? We've got that story coming up and we're going to hear some really personal stories from Australians. Later, why is there still so much stigma around personality disorders? We're also getting into that one. First, though. Hack. I'm not hiding. For the next nine days, you're going to hear from me and you are going to see me and I am not scared. On Triple J. Yeah, you might have seen some news coming out of Canberra today about Victorian Independent Senator Lydia Thorpe. You just heard from her there. She's accused police of failing to protect her from neo-Nazi racist abuse. Now, this has all come after she was tagged in a video of a neo-Nazi burning an Aboriginal flag. Speaking to the media earlier, Senator Thorpe also made some allegations about the Prime Minister allowing abuse to spread in the lead-up to the voice referendum. What is all this about? Well, ABC political reporter Dana Morse is with us now. She's a Palawa Plungamarana woman. Hey, Dana, thanks for coming on Hack. Thanks for having me, Dave. What did Senator Lydia Thorpe have to say today? Well, Senator Thorpe gave a pretty short but extremely emotional press conference in Melbourne earlier today where she made a number of allegations against uh, the, the federal government and the Australian Federal Police and even the Victoria Police as well for failing to protect her in this situation. For Senator Thorpe, who is um, an Aboriginal woman and also represents the Black Sovereign Movement in the Parliament, which is a movement that supports a progressive... What they're calling a progressive no vote at the referendum. She was drawing a pretty straight line between the referendum campaign and the increase of racial uh, threats of racial violence and abuse against her. Um, We do know that Senator Thorpe has been targeted certainly by neo-Nazis over a, a sustained period of time um, that predates the calling of the referendum by Anthony Albanese. Uh, But this particular threat that came out most recently um, has really uh, heightened things for her. And that's what she was saying in Melbourne today, calling on the federal police and the government to do more to protect her. So where is my support? Where is my protection in this country? You want to paint me as an angry black woman? Well, you are about to see an angry black woman because I am not hiding this time. Yeah, there was definitely a lot of emotion there, Dana. Do we know much more about this disturbing video of the neo-Nazi? What have police had to say about it? Well, to give a bit of an overview of the video, there is a neo-Nazi in a balaclava who uh, makes some specific references to Senator Thorpe and the Australian government before burning the Aboriginal flag and then uh, performing a Nazi salute. Uh, The AFP were notified about the video. They say they became aware of it on the 3rd of October. They immediately moved then to speak to X, formerly known as Twitter, um, to see that the video was removed. 
removed. The account that posted the video and tagged Senator Thorpe in it has now been deactivated. But the AFP obviously don't want to speak to us about ongoing investigations and they wouldn't discuss either um, the personal protection arrangements for any parliamentarians. But they did say that there has been a marked increase in threats, harassment and abuse towards parliamentarians over the last two years. Right. Well, what about the Prime Minister, Anthony Albanese? What's he had to say? Because Senator Senator Thorpe had quite a bit to say about him. Yeah, he's come out and said that uh, this sort of behaviour from the neo-Nazis has no place in Australian democracy. He didn't want to speak really today to the specific allegations that Lydia Thorpe levelled against him, uh, that uh, she believes that he isn't personally doing enough to ensure her safety in this incredibly febrile environment for particularly Indigenous people, but um, no more, you know, no one more than. Uh, public-facing Indigenous women in this debate have copped more abuse. Uh, So she essentially levelled those allegations at the Prime Minister. He said he didn't want to speak about that specifically, but that he had seen the video um, and that it has no place in Australian political discourse. It is important that people are respectful with each other. Uh, I've seen the video uh, that uh, is referred to that is threatening towards Uh, Senator Thorpe and towards the government. The sort of uh, Nazi rhetoric and statements that are in that video have no place in discourse in Australian political life. And Dana, have other politicians been speaking about this? Like, have we heard from the opposition leader as well? We have. Uh, we've heard from a number of politicians today. Uh, they include the opposition leader, Peter Dutton, who said that the neo-Nazi video is completely unhinged and unacceptable and should be condemned in the strongest possible terms. We also heard from a couple of government frontbenchers today in Bill Shorten, um, who called the neo-Nazi cowardly and disgusting um, and you know said that he was hiding behind a, a mask um, and, and should come out and put his name to these accusations. Uh, We also heard from the Home Affairs Minister, Claire O'Neill, who said that um, this must be a terrifying time for Senator Thorpe and that the government is taking steps to support her through this difficult time. Senator Thorpe herself has made um, it very clear that she does not intend to um, step away from the referendum debate in the wake of all of this. She says that she will be on the campaign trail um, for the next nine days as we head towards that October 4th. Vote on the voice um, because she thinks it is too important to walk away from, even though there is this threat towards her personal safety. Well, look, I'm sure people are going to be seeing and hearing a lot more about this. We do appreciate you keeping us across this. ABC political reporter Dana Morse, thank you very much for coming on Hack. Thanks. And just a reminder for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander listeners, if you do need support, you can always get hold of the crisis support line 13 YARN. So that's 13 76. And also, if you go to the eSafety Commissioner website, there's a whole bunch of information there on how to protect yourself from online abuse, heaps of tools and resources that you can dive into. Hack. There would be that fear from their school days and having to ask for help. On Triple J. Imagine you're running late for work, but when you get to the bus stop, you can't read the timetable to figure out when the next bus arrives. Or you're sick and you got the medicine, but you can't read the instructions, so you don't know how much to take. 
Well, that's what life is like for a lot of people around Australia who are classified as functionally illiterate. It doesn't necessarily mean that you can't read or write at all, but it does mean that if you can, it's very basic and that makes daily life really, really hard. And what might surprise you, it's estimated almost half of Australia is functionally illiterate. We're going to find out a bit more about those figures soon. If you have struggled with reading or writing as an adult, though, I'm keen to hear from you. Like, was it hard to reach out for support? What held you back? Did you feel like there was enough help out there? You can call in 1300 055536. You can message in as well, 0439757555. In a bit, we are going to speak with an expert, but first, here's our Tassie reporter, April McLennan, who's been speaking to some Australians affected with this. On Tasmania's east coast, you'll find the seaside town of St Helens. It's pretty remote, but the people who live here love it. There's crystal clear waters, great surf, and it's really well known for its fishing. And it's actually where 26-year-old Brianna Williams first met library services coordinator Trish Healy. Bri and I always like to finish off our sessions with a, a hearty game of uh, hangman, don't we, Bree? And I beat ya. <laughs> Not always, but a lot of the time. <laughs> There's been plenty of laughs and lots of learning between the pair over the past couple of years, while Trish has been tutoring Bree. Because for most of her life, Bree's struggled with reading and writing. I really wanted to read a book, but I couldn't read it because I felt the words were too big or I couldn't keep in the information in my head, so I used to get really frustrated. What was that moment like for you when you were able to read a book for the first time? Exciting. Now that I can like read a full page to Trish without getting stuck unless I get stuck on one word. But yeah, it's exciting. Like a lot of regional areas in Tassie, the community only has one school. And Trish reckons this can make it tough on both the students and teachers. Our regions need greater support and resources with education and teachers are amazing human beings. There's just like so much that's being asked of them now and there's, you know, so many difficulties in the education system that kids are slipping through the gaps. Bree's not alone. Almost 50% of Tasmanians have low levels of literacy. One um, example is just even reading a pack of medicine. So trying to understand a dosage of Panadol might be something that um, someone could struggle with in their day-to-day life. So that's a really, you know, crucial thing to making sure that you take the right dosage for yourself or your family. So that's one, I think, really good example of everyday reading, writing and maths at play. That's Trish Sholwyn. She's the manager of 2610. They're a group who are trying to improve the literacy and numeracy skills of Tasmanians. And Trish reckons there could be many reasons why people struggle with their reading and writing. It's important to recognise that that's through no fault of their own. They may have experienced disruptions in their life um, around schooling, shifting family priorities or commitments, or even undiagnosed learning difficulties. But it's actually a problem right around the country. The latest international study in 2012 found 40 to 50% of Australians aged between 15 and 74 are functionally illiterate. This means they may be able to do some very basic reading or writing, but not enough to get by in situations that require reading beyond a basic level, like understanding a bus timetable or even how to use a recipe. While having low levels of literacy is actually more common than you might think, Bree says it was still really hard to reach out and ask for help. 
I just got shy because sometimes I felt embarrassed. I felt bad and it was hard for me for a little bit because I didn't have that eye concentration because I thought everyone was judging me when they used to look at me in the eyes. Bree's tutor Trish reckons heaps of people struggle to ask for help because of the stigma that surrounds it. And they're so brave, any one of them walks through that door and asks for help. And really, it's the learners that come through the door, they, they just want to contribute and participate in community and society. And they just put themselves out there and they're just... They're incredible. Bree's incredible. Like, you know, she's such an inspiration to me. Hack on Triple J. April McLennan with that story, speaking to some amazing people there about their journeys, learning to read and write. And we're hearing from you on the text line too. A lot of people getting in touch. Someone says, my mum is from a non-English speaking background. She can't read or write her native language or English. Another person, Crystal in Box Hill, says, my uncle was in an accident that nearly cost his life. And it was only as he was recovering that we learnt that he was functionally illiterate. And, you know, he hasn't been able to write a will for my aunt and cousins. So there are some huge issues that that's posed for Crystal's family. I want to get some more details of where adult literacy is at on a national level, how we're looking. That's sort of focused a bit on Tasmania, how we're looking across the country. Vanessa Isles is the manager of the Reading Writing Hotline and you know this one because you've probably heard the ads on TV. One three double oh six triple five oh six is the Reading Writing Hotline. Hey, Vanessa, thanks for coming on Hack. My great pleasure, Dave. Do we actually know how many people struggle with reading and writing in Australia? Like how accurate and up-to-date are the figures? Well, the figures do need a bit of an update, I have to say. Uh, the last research that was done was an international study in 2011-2012. So that's uh, going on 10 years now. And uh, that they are the last international studies, uh, international study done. And what they told us was that 44% of Australians, adult Australians, uh, struggle with reading and writing above uh, uh, level two, which is basically kind of the level that you would need to do um, a TAFE course, uh, to read a lot of government forms, to send an email, that kind of level. So they say that 44% of Australians would find it difficult to cope with the demands of work life, home life, family life at the moment, you know, well, 10 years ago. Do we know how Australia fares in comparison to other parts of the world? We fare quite well, actually. I mean, we're we're certainly um, you know in the in the top ten of the OECD countries. Uh, however, uh, there you know our numeracy levels are not up there, uh, and our numeracy levels are really important as well because a lot of the numeracy these days is hidden behind um, these kind of invisible algorithms that we don't see. Uh, and a lot of the devices that we use have got numeracy built in, but you, it's really important that we understand what's happening, that we stay numerate, as well as obviously for a lot of jobs, you know, numeracy is really fundamental and paying bills and budgeting and all that sort of thing. We do know that our numeracy levels are not as high as our literacy levels, and that's going to be hugely problematic if we don't start to rectify that. Looking at some of the stats, it surprised me to see that of the young people who are calling the reading and writing hotline, more than 20% had finished year 12 how do we explain how people are finishing school without having these skills? 
Yeah, that's a really, really good question. So we know that uh, when we looked at callers that were between the age of 15 and 24, people that called the hotline, 23% of those people had completed year 12. And we know, like over the last, I think it's probably six or seven years, there's been a lot of encouragement for people to stay till the end of year 12. And so people that typically might have left uh, and gone and got a job or done a trade are being encouraged to stay longer. So I think that's why that statistic is increasing because more people are encouraged to stay. It doesn't necessarily mean that the literacy levels are changing. It just means that more people are staying at school than, say, 10 years ago. But, you know, it is really important statistic as well because, we do know that there's been increase in class sizes, there's been cuts to education budgets, um, a lot less learner support available for people who may be struggling at school. You know, they might be in year 10 or year 11 even, and they may be struggling with their reading and writing. And for those people, it's hard to get one-to-one support that they really need. So they're getting further and further behind. So it's certainly a significant statistic. We got some messages coming through on the text line. Someone says there are a lot of great stories from jail of illiterate inmates asking for help in writing letters to their loved ones. Someone else says, I wonder if the digital age has improved this or made it worse. And someone else has written in saying, I'm dyslexic and Siri and Google Translate help heaps. So messages of people who've got experience in this area. This is Hack. I'm Dave Marchese chatting with Vanessa Isles from the Reading Writing Hotline about literacy rates in Australia and the fact that so many Australians struggle with reading, with writing, with numeracy. Vanessa, we're hearing how big the problem is. You've just outlined a bit of that. So what do we do about it? Like, how do we turn these stats around? Well, we've just done a a large uh, study, a national study on uncovering adult literacy and numeracy needs in Australia. And what that information tells us is that there are a number of reasons that people really, you know, struggle to get into classes. And the most, the, the really the most significant of those reasons is that the shame and embarrassment that they feel. So they're not, they're not wanting to come forward. They're not putting their hands up because they feel like if their boss finds out, if their co-workers find out, if their family finds out, you know, they feel a, a huge amount of shame around that. So destigmatizing that feeling that um, they're stupid, um, that they're, you know, they're less than um, because of their literacy levels is something we really need to combat because for a lot of people, you know, the fact that they struggle with their reading and writing has a lot to do with the fact that they've been, you know, they haven't really been adequately helped along the way when they perhaps were smaller, when they were younger children. You know, there's a lot of reasons people don't succeed with their literacy and numeracy. It's very, it's very complicated literacy and uh, you know, they may have been suffering bullying at school when kids are bullied that um, it really shuts down um, their cognitive ability and their ability to concentrate uh, and combine that with perhaps feeling ashamed and just sitting at the back of the class and keeping really quiet. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of reasons why people struggle. So, yeah, finding ways to help them um, ask for help and knowing where to ask for help is another big barrier. So, I mean, you can certainly 
but anyone can call the Reading Writing Hotline and we'll put you in touch with the most appropriate class um, or teacher to, to help people with, with, you know, whatever the gap is that they have and we're a free service. Uh, but they're, you know, overcoming the barriers to help people into classes is important. We need more adult literacy teachers. There is a critical shortage of adult literacy teachers in Australia. And um, also, you know, funding. We need more funding and more classes. In about 15% of our calls, we can't find classes for people because they don't exist. There's been big cuts in funding for adult literacy classes and that's another area we need to improve. Yeah, it's really disappointing to hear that. I mean, if someone is listening now and they are struggling with reading and writing, what's your advice to them? What should they do? Well, my advice would be to certainly to call the Reading Writing Hotline. We have teachers on the phone lines who, you know, the first thing we usually hear when people call is that, you know, they're terribly embarrassed and they they haven't told anyone before and it's taken them a long time to call. So we would just encourage people to call as soon as they're ready to. Don't leave it for another 10 years because there's so much their life would be very different if they'd call perhaps 10 years earlier. So ring as soon as possible. The teachers are very used to hearing about how difficult it is. They have, they're have they all working classrooms themselves and they all know the sorts of issues faced by people um, and how hard it is to make that call. So they're a really friendly bunch and they'll talk you through what is you know, what are the options available? People may want to just do something at home. They might want to have some workbooks to start with at home or do something online just to get their confidence up. They might want to even go down to the local library and find a volunteer tutor. So we can give them all of those options uh, and it's a free call. We appreciate that advice. Vanessa Isles from Reading and Writing Hotline, thank you very much for coming on Hack. My great pleasure. Thanks, Dave. And on the text line, someone says, I worked for a school in New South Wales as a social worker and heaps of students came to me and couldn't read or write. They told their teacher and they weren't believed that they had difficulty. Teachers also sometimes don't know how to identify when students are having problems. Someone else says, I finished year 12 without the help from many of the teachers and I struggled really badly. I got all the way through with some help from friends. And another person says, Dave, how did you say the phone number without singing the jig? Yeah, I know, it's pretty hard. The number, by the way, is 13006 Hack. The most common metaphor. It's like walking around with all of your nerve endings exposed. On Triple Jack. Hey, just a heads up, we're about to speak about mental illness for a bit because this week is Borderline Personality Disorder Awareness Week. Maybe you know someone with BPD or you live with it yourself. Personality disorders, which BPT, BPD is a part of, are really common, especially with young people, but we still don't know a lot about them. And something that may surprise you is that experts are warning mental health professionals are sometimes the ones adding to the stigma around personality disorders. Shalala Madora explains. Living with the disorder, I can honestly say, was excruciating. Most days I wouldn't leave the house, I wouldn't get out of bed or I wouldn't leave the couch. This is Jessica, which is not her real name. 
she struggled with her mental health for a long time. It was easy to hide through alcohol use to numb some of the pain. Jessica sought support, but none of the diagnoses seemed to fit. Then, about seven years ago, Jessica got diagnosed with borderline personality disorder. That's not as easy as it sounds. There are nine criteria within a BPD diagnosis and you need to meet five of those to have a diagnosis. And that means that there is 264 different ways that someone with BPD could present. Borderline personality disorder is a mental health disorder where a person struggles to manage their emotions and may have difficulty relating to other people and the world around them. And so getting that diagnosis and then opening with that opening up this myriad of other options when it came to therapy, that was a real turning point. BPD falls under the umbrella term of personality disorder. There aren't personality disorders plural. There is just one personality disorder and there's not even the difference between ice cream and sorbet. It's just ice cream. You can describe different flavours of personality disorder. Professor Andrew Channon is Head of Personality Disorder Research at Origin Youth Mental Health. He's kind of an expert on this. Terms that people might be familiar with like borderline personality disorder or narcissistic personality disorder or antisocial personality disorder. And, and the problem with those is that they're never really separate categories. They're actually just different parts of the same problem. Professor Channon says it's one of the most common mental health concerns amongst young people because it typically arises when someone hits puberty to the time they're in their early 20s. Personality disorder affects about 10% of the population. Personality disorder isn't commonly diagnosed in low-income countries because our environment plays a huge role in their development. It's about 50-50 nature and nurture. Jessica explains what it's like. I'll notice this is how I'm feeling and that also doesn't fit with the way that I need to act in this situation. And it doesn't mean that my feelings are any less valid. It just means that I know, hang on a minute, my brain's wired a little bit differently. Screw you and your psychobabble bullshit. You have no clue what it's like for me. Pop culture's kind of obsessed with people with personality disorder. Who's more famous right now than Anna Dalvey? Nick loved a girl I was pretending to be. Cool girl. If I just keep being the perfect boyfriend, you'll realise I'm not a maybe. I'm the one. The man I love was never real. Everything's a lie. While they're not always the best representation, Professor Channon says they do help. He says the worst stigma doesn't actually come from pop culture. It comes sadly from my colleagues uh, and the clinicians, doctors, nurses, psychologists, uh, occupational therapists, social workers, uh, working in mental health care are the people who actually perpetuate these old fashioned stigmatised beliefs about people with personality disorder. Uh, and I prefer to use the word bigotry. That's something Jessica has experienced. She thinks there needs to be way more education on it. I get that in some cases, people with personality disorders um, can display symptoms that can be quite scary. And a lot of that comes from a place of trauma. Professor Channon says stigma can get in the way of recovery. This has been, you know, my uh, lifelong interest, professional interest uh, in trying to do a better job of understanding the problem when it first comes on and intervening early so that we can prevent some of the 
long-term serious um, problems that arise in people with personality disorder. Jessica is living proof of that. I do no longer have any clinical presentation. I don't meet any of the criteria for BPD anymore. The term for that is to be considered in recovery. Jessica knows that her illness will always be with her. I tend to prefer remission because if I'm not doing the hard work, it definitely will come back. It's still there. She says starting that work on yourself can be really daunting, especially if you don't have a high sense of self-worth because of your illness. But she says it does get better and all that hard work is worth it. Start getting healthy, mentally healthy with your personality disorder because you need to keep a plant alive or because you might have a pet that relies on you and eventually it will turn into doing it for yourself. Eventually you'll get to a point and you might not know when that is that all of a sudden, you know what, I'm now going to therapy for me. Hack on Triple J. Shalala Madora with that story. Some messages on the text line. Someone says, my older sister has BPD. I learned everything I could to try and understand and help her. Unfortunately, we haven't spoken for 10 months. Another person says, emotional dysregulation is the more accepted term for borderline personality disorder. It's more helpful. Hey, if you do want to learn more about it, There's a website, the Australian BPD Foundation. It's online, a volunteer-led organisation. Also, if you do need any support anytime, remember Lifeline's always there on 13 11 14. And that's all we've got time for on the Hack Podcast for now. I'll catch you next time. Hack on Triple Jack.